This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are back for a midweek episode. This is the schedule from here on out. We'll be on two times a week until, like I said last week, the Cubs win the World Series, and then we'll figure out how to plan the aftermath and and the parade episode for you accordingly later in November. But not to get ahead of ourselves, we are coming to you on Thursday, March 5th. And that means we have to wish a very happy birthday to our left fielder, uh, one Kyle Schwarber. And, you know, with that, Brendan, I, I don't know if you have anything that you'd like to add on. I'm not thinking of anything in particular, but just, yeah. you know, given that date and certain things happening, if you had anything to say, now would be a, a good time to do it. Happy birthday to you. And I hope you have a terrific birthday. I hope you and Schwarber celebrate together. I have not gotten an invite yet, so I'm still wondering where that is. But regardless, happy birthday to you. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, I ha- Kyle has not responded to uh, several of my DMs, so uh, I think we may end up celebrating separately. But, you know, I, I think we're celebrating together in spirit as, as March 5th birthday buddies, uh, as it were. So yes, the, the birthday news is out of the way and we can check in on a, a pretty eventful few days yes. of spring training. As we've been saying kind of this entire time since the Cubs have gotten to Mesa, uh, given the roster situation and some of the position battles and, and where certain guys are, it's perhaps a little more interesting than most spring trainings we've seen in the past with these teams because certain areas are not clear-cut, certain positions are not decided, and I would venture to say that David Ross and the front office do not have Uh, a 100% clear picture of exactly what that 26-man roster is going to be come opening day. So really with every game, we we get to kind of look at things with with a a new lens and and evaluate things and look at changes and what guys are working on and, and see how it might affect things come 2020. So 
We will take a look at the games that we saw since we last spoke. We saw Jose Quintana make his Cactus League debut. We saw Craig Kimbrell make his debut uh, today, Wednesday, as Brendan and I are recording this. So definitely some things to talk about. Uh, where I want to start, though, on, on a bit of a, it's all a lighter note, I suppose, but and I, I, I just, I think we would be remiss to not compliment that ESPN broadcast oh, yeah. uh, from Monday that had Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo mic'd up for an entire five innings. And when I say an entire five innings, if you weren't able to watch this, uh, I mean literally for five straight innings. On the marquee broadcast, we've seen a player mic'd up, a player or a coach mic'd up every game, but we're just getting snippets where, you know, they'll, they'll cut to a little, uh, pre-rolled video of a couple clips of them saying things. We saw Ian Happ the other day. We saw Will Venable the other day. David Bodie was on Wednesday. Just some, some little snippets of, of things that they're saying. But the difference on this ESPN broadcast was it was literally running commentary from Rizzo and Bryant for five straight innings at bat, in the field, in the dugout, the whole deal. And it was a pretty unanimous opinion I, I, I on Cubs Twitter, certainly, but I even saw this on baseball Twitter. This was getting they rave it. reviews. I know I saw guys like Carl Ravitch and, and just, you know, broadcasters in the industry talking about this, but this was high quality entertainment, Brendan. And a really good example of, I think when, when people talk a lot about how the MLB is not the best at marketing their game and and not marketing their stars and oftentimes make a lot of decisions that don't really promote the game. This was such an easy thing. And obviously, I I don't think a lot of players are going to sign up to be mic'd up like this in the regular season, especially for five straight innings. But it was just so simple. It was just give these two guys a microphone and just let them go. Just like let them talk to each other and to the broadcast while they're out there. And it certainly provided uh, a bevy of really good interactions and quotes. But this was a this was a slam dunk. I mean, this was great entertainment. Yeah. And the best, (laughs) the funniest thing to me, and it was the one that was highlighted by ESPN and throughout baseball Twitter, but when Rizzo is up to bat, he's talking to the booth about what he expects to see on the next pitch. And he's, he's, you know, he's talking to the guys in the booth and, and Jess as well. And he's saying, quote, I'm doing some math in my head about where he is going to throw. Someone bang for me. He's, allu- he's alluding to the trash can score. I thought that was hilarious. And no one really caught that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my favorite was Anthony saying, like, as he was batting, I think I'm going to get a fastball here because he hasn't thrown me one yet. He gets a fastball, he rips it to the gap, and, like, as he's running, he's, like, laughing, going, ha-ha, I was right! (laughs) And then as he's rounding first, he goes, I'm going to go for two here. No, I'm not, as the guy, as the outfielder picked up the ball and threw it back in. Uh, That was great. They had Joe Madden interviewed while they were on mic, and the broadcast team for ESPN asked Rizzo and Bryant if they were willing to play another inning, uh, play into the fifth so that they could be on to interview Joe Madden. And Anthony, Rizzo right away goes, yeah, for sure, that sounds great. <laughs> and Bryant from third base goes, that's asking a lot for a spring training game. <laughs> Just great. It, it I was, love it. It was really fantastic. They had Theo on afterward, after the two of them were off, and he said, we're lucky we don't have contract bonuses for winning an Emmy 
uh, for position players uh, I because it. I think I, you know, I think uh, we'd be in a little bit of trouble after that performance. And then Chris Bryant's like Henry Rowan Gardner type at bat, where he's going, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" That like, was that actually was Rizzo perfect. doing that, but it was Bryant batting. Really? Okay, yes, I did not know that. There's some misinformation out there. About wow! That so that was yeah. Rizzo doing that. That was Rizzo doing. Okay, that. thanks for clearing yeah. the air. Uh, but they also talked about their their road aliases, uh, and uh, Chris Bryant had used Hamilton Porter in the past as mm. his. David Ross chiming in from across, the, you know, they're they're like just yelling at him, going, "Hey, Skip, uh, you know, how would you answer this question?" It was he "Hey, Skip, Jake Taylor." Uh, obviously that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but this was, this was really great stuff. And, and just hearing them interact, Rizzo was like commenting as he was fielding the ball, uh, like saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do play by play when I get a ground ball. And then he immediately got a ground ball and is like talking through it. KB hit a foul ball down the line and, uh, it was like, that was a fastball. I was late on it and now I'm tired (laughs) and yeah, it, it was he just did, great He stuff. did say, dang it, too. So I was waiting for it, and he finally did it. So Yeah, so if you have not seen those clips, I, I shared a bunch of it. tweets, as many as I could, uh, on a post at CubsInsider.com. I know they had it at MLB. I'm sure they have it on, on ESPN. But that was really fun and, and just a good way to make a spring training game like really interesting. I mean, I know I, I, I can't recall a spring training game, maybe save for the first one, that first broadcast on Marquee, where my timeline at least was as dialed in to every inning of a spring training game. And it was ju- it literally just because Bryant and Rizzo were talking to each other uh, as, as the game was going on. Rizzo was doing the cuts to commercial. Uh, we'll be back from Sloan Park and Mesa or whatever. Like it was, it was great. That was great stuff. Uh, and good to see, you know, good to see the nation recognize the power of Brizzo and the Brizzo Souvenir Company. But beyond just listening to them talk on the broadcast, we did have a bunch of stuff going on. And I think the first place that I would like to go is uh, just a couple of debuts that we saw, just to note those. I know we've been kind of waiting. Uh, to see some of these guys, and those debuts include, obviously, Jose Quintana, who was out a little bit as he was sick, uh, did make his debut against the Colorado Rockies on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday. You're listening on Thursday, so just to keep an eye on where we are here. Uh, he went two innings, allowed three hits, three earned, no walks, and one strikeout. Uh, I thought he looked fine. Again, he's coming back from a sickness, building up his strength, just trying to get back out there, and he was facing a at least top portion of the Rockies order, uh, really most of the order, actually, that he faced. Uh, was, you know, a a solid lineup from them. He did get uh, taken deep by Nolan Arenado, which uh, is not exactly the most egregious sin one can commit in the world. Uh, But good to see Q out there. And, you know, as we talked about in the last episode, he's working on a lot of stuff. So certainly uh, not going to freak out uh, at giving up a few runs there in his first outing here. And then we did see Craig Kimbrell, 
on Wednesday against the Reds, make his debut as we've talked about uh, some of the stuff from Tommy Hadovy that he's been working, kind of doing his own thing, throwing live BP and, and getting to where he needs to be, but he does make his Cactus League debut on Wednesday. He goes an inning. He gives up one hit that was a home run to Derek Dietrich. Uh, no walks and two strikeouts. He was sitting about 95 to 96, and after the game, he told the Cubs beat team that that was a good sign from him. Normally, he's not sitting uh, that high when he first gets going in camp, and that he fully expected to be able to ramp up from those numbers. Obviously, you're going to want him sitting more north of 97 at the very least uh, once he gets going in the regular season. Uh, Brendan, I don't know if you had any particular notes on these two. Uh, I, I would say, you know, look, and I and I told you this. Uh, you know, off air, I I am going to be at least a little anxious about Kimbrel until we see different results. And I have cautioned a million times not to read into spring training numbers, and I'm not going to do that. This is his first outing. He was on a weird schedule last year. Hopefully he can ramp that velo up. I know you were looking at some of those numbers of where he's landed uh, at the beginning of different spring trainings and at the end throughout his career. And there certainly does appear to be credence to the fact that he can gain at least a couple miles an hour on that fastball. Um, but he was not good for the Cubs in 2019. And so, you know, obviously just to see him give up a home run in this game today. you know, I I think I'm going to be a little unnerved by it until he looks like some version of that Hall of Fame closer. And again, that's not to put too much or really any stock in specifically what we saw today, but him being a a top-level guy, we've talked about how important that is to this bullpen with, with hoping some of those other guys are able to fill in those lower roles around him. But it's, it's important that he is, a reliable and and top level closer for this team. Uh, so uh, until we see that, it's it's going to have me a little on edge. But I I am optimistic that he can ramp up and and you know as he gets more outings here and by the time we get to opening day, he will be in a different place. It's hard not to read so much into what Kimbrel's doing, just given how his season ended last year. But it's spring training. It's his first outing. It was Jose Quintana's first outing as well. And we have a recent example of not to read too much into those debuts. And that example is Kyle Hendricks. And so when Hendricks debuted, what was it, a week and a half ago, he was throwing like 82, 83, 84, 85. All of his pitches, not all of them, but I'm exaggerating, but a good chunk of his pitches were left up in the zone. I thought Kyle did not look good in his first outing. Uh, you know, he said otherwise that he was getting back in the swing of things and he felt pretty strong. So when the words from the pitcher don't back what I see, I'm going to default to what the pitcher says. And so when Kimbrell is saying he feels good, he's feeling that he's where he wants to be at this time of the year, I'm going to trust and believe the pitcher. And so I think it's okay. I, and with, with Kyle Hendricks, when he came back in his last start, and we'll touch on it a little bit, Corey. He was throwing 89, legitimately 89 miles per hour after starting the year in spring, throwing 82 to 84. So you have weird 
resumes, you have weird ways these pitchers ramp up everything. And so it's going to be individualized as well. I don't think we should read too much into it until maybe like a week and a half to two weeks before the regular season begins, which actually is in, in two weeks. Like I said, uh, and like you said, Kimbrell was was optimistic that this was a good start. Uh, and they've, you know, as I was saying with Hadavi, they've been very deliberate about how they are going about this. Um, and I am, am hopeful that that is the case. Uh, he just was not good last year. So I am uh, probably just going to need to see something different uh, to really feel confident in that. But I am optimistic. And, and like you said, I will trust him uh, that this is a good place to start. And he certainly doesn't need to be where he needs to be today or tomorrow. We, we've got time for that. So we'll take it day by day. Uh, obviously something to monitor, but at the very least, good to see him out there. And obviously given the way that things played out last year, just in terms of his signing late and all that, good to just see that he is on this program. He's on the right track. He's, he's getting that normal spring training buildup and hopefully will be where he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, he's on schedule. He's on schedule from day one when the season starts to be the closer. Like, like what more do you want from him at this point? And so, you know, he gets a homer here and there. He's throwing 95, 96. It's okay. Let's see how it looks in two to three weeks right when the season is looming. Brendan, as the voice of calm and rational thought, is a this bit is of a juxtaposition. This is my time of year, Corey. This is the this is the the lowest stress of the year. I'm I'm gonna enjoy it while I can. Okay, uh, we'll see if that lasts even this entire episode before okay. you express. I think it will, but something. we'll see. Yeah, uh, but anyway. Moving on uh, to non-debuts, one thing I, I did want to talk about before we get into some other specific uh, player development and, and performances from these last few days, I, I did just want to mention how much I like that David Ross has brought in uh, not only John Lackey to just sort of be around Cubs camp and, and be in the dugout and, and serve as just kind of somewhat of an advisor, uh, but we also saw him do the same thing with Ben Zobrist the other day. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, whether that's uh, 100% David Ross's decision or, you know, some of the front office, I'm not really sure. Uh, but I, I like that they're doing that. And just to be clear, I this could not have been made any clearer by basically everybody that talked about it. Ben Zobrist was just there to check things out and because he was invited and to just impart his Ben Zobrisness into Cubs camp, right? This was not a tryout. He's not pulling a Dexter Fowler. Uh, that was made very clear from a lot of people. He hasn't necessarily retired, but he's not going to show up and play for the Cubs tomorrow. That that uh, that could not have been made any clearer by people. But I I like that they are bringing in these veterans, even if they're not going to be a part of the team, especially John Lackey. And I think you guys who have listened to us for a while know that Brendan and I have had our feelings about John Lackey and, and watching him pitch and all that other stuff. I'm not going to bring up a, a certain game because we don't just don't talk up. about it. Thank you. But I, I, we, we've talked so much and so much has been made about the lack of edge, the lack of some accountability, you know, maybe uh, relying too much on past success, you know, a little bit of that stuff, that, that, that narrative and those storylines have been surrounding this team this offseason. And I think bringing in those veterans, uh, obviously Zobrist and Lackey on, on different ends of, of a particular spectrum, but both of them represent, I think, accountability 
to a very high degree and a passion to win. They express that in very different ways, uh, as you can see from those pictures of Lackey around camp. I mean, he looks so angry all the time. Uh, and I, in a lot of ways, I love that about him. But, it, you know, it's just such a big difference from Zobrist, who always just looks like the nicest, happiest, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of guy, right? Um, but I think having these guys around and I think showing that initiative that you want these guys around, you want people checking in on on the drills you're doing, on the games you're playing, and, and just being there to offer their wisdom and, and the way that they see the game, I, I, I think is a good sign and, and, and a continued notion of how pleased I am looking at all of this from the outside with the way that David Ross has gone about things, the, mm-hmm. the attitude yeah. that seems to be permeating from Cubs camp, uh, the, the just the different narratives that are coming out now as opposed to what we heard at the end of last season, throughout this offseason, just the, the way things seem to be going, the way people are talking, the way people are doing things from an outside perspective seems uh, very effective and good mm-hmm. to me uh, as I'm reading all of this and, and just watching this. So I, I did just want to note that those guys were there. Uh, and to me, that that's a good sign of the messaging and and just the, the sort of philosophy that David Ross is, is, is trying to bring to this camp. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on the motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan in the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. There's a chance your local Geico agent has the same hyper-specific taste in music as you. Yeah, I can't get enough of neo-operatic breakbeat. Do you listen to Kale Bent and the Lettuce Works? Only every day. But there's a better chance your local GEICO agent could help you out with insurance. They'll work hard to provide sound advice and significant savings. You don't need a hip, underground music scene to do that. Local GEICO agents. Call or visit yours today. And I like the youth, too. So bringing in John Lackey, bringing in Ben Zobrist, guys who are not playing right now but have been playing, you know, within the last three to four years, that's valuable because you can connect maybe with, with some younger guys as well. And so when you combine Lackey and Zobris and even Andy Green, you know, Craig Breslow, Justin Stone, these are all young guys. And it's cool to see kind of the game shift from, especially with the Cubs in the last five to six years, a little bit of an older coaching staff to a staff and special assistants that are not much older than many of the players, and I really respect that. And one other thing I noticed, too, during that mic'd up game with Brizzo, the vibe around the Cubs, it doesn't seem as like, you know, 100%, I'm serious all the time, I'm going to be just working hard, not having fun. But the fact that like Brizzo can go and annoy David Ross during the game, that suggests that there's still this fun vibe within camp. So you have this fun vibe, but there's still that serious, let's get to work nature that maybe was missing. We know what was missing, actually, with Madden over the last two years. So for me, it's cool to see the, the merging of those two philosophies, of that kind of cool, free-going, you know, 
stress-free environment with the attitude, with the urgency. And that's something Joe was not able to do the last two years. And Ross, so far within the first two weeks of games, the execution, Corey, I, I don't think you can ask for a better vibe and start to camp from David Ross. It, a lot of it reflects, you know, as everyone has talked about, you didn't see a lot of turnover in this roster. You didn't see a lot of urgency placed on improving certain areas of this roster. But I, I do think you, at least just in terms of the vibe, right, coming around this team and what we are hearing and seeing about the way things are happening on a day-to-day basis, I, I think you would be lying if you said you didn't see a difference yeah. in just the Chicago Cubs right now. It feels different. It feels like things have changed even though only a certain number of things have actually changed. Well, we shouldn't, yeah. I mean, we shouldn't underplay some of the changes that have been made. And they're getting a lot of play in the media from especially The Athletic and, you know, even Cubs.com. But the change to the coaching staff is such a dramatic change. And that that's something that's that seems obvious but i don't think we understand the degree to which that is going to impact this team when we read about the pitch lab when we read about all the guys talking about these advanced metrics that was never the case the past three years that is a dramatic change for so many of these players and almost literally every single pitcher is working on a new pitch. When one pitcher was working on a new pitch over the last three years, I would freak out because we would never hear about that. Corey, every single pitcher is working on something new, it seems. Yeah, so I, I think that's uh, a good transition to that. There was a really good article in The Athletic by Sahadev Sharma, who I, I think we've said a million times uh, is is worth your subscription to The Athletic alone uh, for the content that he provides. Uh, but he talked about all of these guys working on new pitches, uh, and I, I think that it's it, it feels safe to say, Brendan, and, and again, this is, as always, coming from an outside perspective, uh, but I, it feels like when all is said and done, the addition and work of Tommy Hadovy and his team is going to be something that we look back on as extremely important uh, for ushering in where we're going with the Chicago Cubs franchise because you just see so much of what is changing right in front of us uh, and a lot of that sounds as though it is under the direction of of Tommy Hadovy but I will let you as as the uh, you know resident data expert here, dig into some of those exact changes and, and some of the ones that you are most excited about. But even just looking at some of these initial results, uh, you know, and and knowing that some of these guys have been working in the pitch lab and working with Tommy Hadovy and his team, like you, you mentioned already, you saw Hendricks come out in that last start sitting eighty nine which Kyle Hendricks throwing 89 with a few weeks left in spring training. And he talked about, he went to uh, not driveline, I don't believe, but but one of those uh, development you know companies. And they talked about in the off season, they were like, he's going to come back and he's going to be throwing harder. Like we're, we're, we're telling you, look out for Kyle Hendricks. And he's doing it. And like Kyle Hendricks sitting around there this early, uh, you know, and wherever he lands, we'll see. But he's already, 
you know, an extremely dangerous pitcher, but you start talking about being able to add a little more heat, so to speak, right, even though we're, we're not even talking about hitting 90 right now, uh, but with the way he's able to change eye levels, the way he's able to change speeds, the way he's able to tunnel, good luck to everybody. Uh, and we also saw someone like Jeremy Jeffress, who is, is sitting in an area that resembles where he was sitting when he was so successful in 2018 with the Milwaukee Brewers, when he was uh, one of the top relievers in the league. And again, you know, you've still got weeks to go. Velo in and of itself doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, make a pitcher, right? But to see some of these things showing results like that, and 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 this is something that I I, I think we, you know, I remember like the last few years we we talked about, you know, and Justin Wilson was one of these examples. Some of the, these other guys, like where we would always talk about how these guys came over to the Cubs and their walk rate spiked, and they just didn't look as good, and and like what was going on when they came over. This spring, you know, it feels like we're seeing something different. We saw a little bit of this last year too, like where guys are coming over and they're looking better. They're looking more interesting. They're developing new pitches and it it just feels like something to be very optimistic about. But but beyond those two guys, I know there's there's certain guys especially in that article uh that are working on new pitches and and that you are dialed in on in this spring. So why don't you tell us about a few of those? Well, I mean, there's so many notes on a lot of these pitchers, but the two guys that stuck out to me the most were number one, Rowan Wick. And every episode, we're talking about Darvish, but there was new stuff every single time. Darvish stood out as well. So I'll start with Wick. The reason that Wick stood out for me is because he said to Sahadev that he's working on a new slider cutter thing. And he did say in that one post on The Athletic, he has not used it yet in spring training. But in his last outing where he went one inning, gave up no runs, looked pretty good, he did throw that slider cutter thing, whatever you want to call it. And he immediately threw a curveball right after that pitch. And I sent a gift to you and Evan in our message. But you can see, Corey, how that cutter and curveball are going to play off one another. It looked as if they had the same type of horizontal break. It's a slight little tiny like drop too. It's the same axis it looks like. And it's almost indistinguishable until the curveball completely falls off the cliff. And so the batter he was throwing it to, he threw an 0-1 cutter and then uh, he sat on it, the batter. Then he threw an 0-2 curveball, that famous spiked curveball, and the batter was way out in front and weakly grounded out to the right side. And with Wick, he's been principally a fastball curveball guy when he was successful last year with the Cubs. And so for him to add another pitch in addition to a curveball, to a fastball that reaches in the upper 90s, that that's going to be insane, dude. I, I don't know... If he's going to use that right out of the gate or if he's still working on it, he did only throw it one time, at least to my eyes. But if he can implement a third pitch, I mean, oh my God, I think he can be successful even with two pitches, but add another pitch to that, that that would be insane. And then one more topic with Darvish, and I'll turn it back to you. Darvish, Corey, I this is probably the best start to spring training I've ever remembered for any pitcher as a Cub, honestly. He's not only throwing 98, as we talked about last time, but he did give more information to Sahadev in a follow-up post that was posted on Monday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday. 
And what Darvish was talking about was his fastball spin efficiency. Again, the word spin efficiency is coming up. And Darvish was talking about his data dive. And he and uh, Hadavi were talking about his fastball spin rate not matching his spin efficiency. And he quoted two guys. He quoted Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole on the Astros last year. Their fastball spin efficiencies were upwards to 98%. That's insane. And for Darvish, it was only 71% last year. That was actually in the bottom 5% of baseball. So that's that's wild to think that you have someone like you, Darvish, who has maybe 10 pitch variations, not have a fastball spin rate of, or a spin efficiency that's in the top tier. So he's been working with these super high-quality slow-mo cameras and trying to pin down how to increase that spin efficiency. He said that he thinks he found it, and he switched his wrist angle on his fastball grip. And he said the last start, he was getting more spin efficiency, and the swings and misses were actually following suit as well. And there's a few examples that Sahad have posted uh, of Darvish getting swings and misses on those up and high fastballs. So imagine this. You have Darvish, who's throwing 98 with better spin efficiency, with that splitter that he was showcasing a lot last year with some of the other sliders he's been working on the lefties. We're talking about improvements in three different pitches that really were still successful last year, Corey. Like, do you see where we're going with this? If Darvish can get this together and if he's healthy, Cy Young, honestly, he'd be the best pitcher in the league. If you can go from a fastball spin efficiency, which he throws half the time, from 70% to maybe 90%, look out. We're talking about the same type of value in that tier of Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole. I don't want to get too carried away here, but I still think this is not crazy to think about. I don't think this is irrationally optimistic to think that a healthy Yu Darvish with all these new tools would be the best pitcher in the National League. Again, it sounds crazy, but I'm feeling confident about this. Yeah, and I and I do want to read one quote from this article, uh, just from Darvish, and he said, "quote I liked data before, but after I came here, I learned a lot on Ivy. Ivy is the internal database with all the scouting and information. I didn't know how to use the data with the Dodgers and Rangers. I think they have it, but not like here." The coaches here taught me how to use it, and this data means this, this data means that. Then I started to use it on my own, and I can use Ivy better than anybody in the clubhouse. And we talked about this on the last episode. That's the confidence right there, Corey, by the way. Right. We we talked about how exciting that was and how much it really feels like you is is feeling himself, right? He he feels healthy, his stuff is good, and he just feels locked in to what he is doing and how he is doing it. But reading quotes like this is is so exciting. You just know that he has the talent to throw, what is it, upwards of 10 different pitches, different grips and different spins and stuff like that. And you know that this is the type of guy who is going to look at every single detail, comb over every piece of information he can possibly get, try different things, manipulate different things to be as good as humanly possible. And I know you in the last few episodes have been gushing about him knowing what he wants to do against lefties and knowing in particular, like, this is the thing that takes me to an even greater level than I was in the second half of 2019. And... 
it's not to say that he's the only person that that does this type of you know introspection and and self study and stuff like that but with how good he was in the second half how confident he seems and how motivated he is to just continually get better and and tweak the things that aren't perfect and and make them better it's really exciting and and it, you know like you said it, it is hard not to get a little carried away uh with how he was able to cut that walk rate that long stretch of games where he didn't walk anybody in the second half and just how he was able to perform like the guy you know we all knew he could be mm-hmm. you know now you've got an off season where he's out there talking about how he wants to be even better he's identified specific things he needs to do it it's it's really really exciting and, yeah. and it, it is difficult not to get a little carried away with what to expect from him uh, in the 2020 season, and I, I'm, I'm certainly excited to watch it. But I, I also wanted to read a quote kind of along similar lines. Now, I know that the Dodgers in particular, when you was there, uh, you know, that was... I think they've changed a lot over the years, right? Andrew I think Friedman. most teams have changed. Yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I, I do think that the Dodgers are one of the you know most analytically heavy and successful at that uh, teams, franchises in the league. So it may have been different when you was there. Uh, so I, I don't I don't want any of this to come off as as suggesting that the Cubs are at the the forefront of the league and they're better than everybody. But I did want to read this quote from Dan Winkler, uh, another pitcher in this article from Sahadev Sharma of the Athletic, talking about what he did in the pitch lab and 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 just his experience. And I, I th- this quote stood out to me. He said, "Quote: Being a free agent, I had a couple calls and I talked to Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow, and that was the first thing that we talked about. Some other places, I he's." referring to getting in the pitch lab and what they could work on. Some other places I was at, they had the analytics, but how do I translate this to the field? The first thing they brought up was getting me in the lab and figuring out what I can do. We saw some things grip-wise and mechanic-wise. I'm a higher spin guy, so I'm trying to get the spin efficiency, there's that word again, on my fastball, get that better vertical rise. I'm seeing it pay off immensely already. We just switched the grip a little on my four-seam fastball, just altered it like a millimeter. Okay, so I wanted to read that quote because it goes along with what I was saying in the beginning about Hadavi and and what they're doing and and why this kind of feels so exciting. It's that didn't feel like the type of quote we would have heard maybe a couple years ago. 100%. Right? Several years ago, right, when the Cubs were drafting all these young position players, we definitely felt like the Cubs were at the forefront of something going on in Major League Baseball, right? And it culminated with them as, you know, we, I I don't know if we ever talk about this, Brendan, uh, but it did culminate in them winning the 2016 World Series. World Series champions, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, But, you know, then these last few years, it felt in a lot of ways, and we've talked about this, like maybe the Cubs were falling behind in certain ways, right? Like they had been drafting a lot of low velo pitchers, and the game was switching to, you know, spin rate and higher velo, and then getting these guys throwing in the upper 90s, etc. And so just to hear Darvish say things like that, and to hear someone like Winkler say that, that, you know, he had talked to other teams, but he felt that the Cubs had a tangible plan Mm. for him and 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 they were able to express what they saw and how they wanted to do it 
it it's it's exciting to read these things and 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 again like i i don't want that to come across as suggesting that the cubs are the the pinnacle of data and they're better than everybody else because i don't think that that's true uh and i i wouldn't know right i'm not in every other clubhouse i don't know uh, but it's just exciting to hear these things and, and to, again, be able to see some of these results actually playing out in the field, even just in these spring training games, you are able to look at some of these guys and go, yeah, that's different. Yeah, that's better. Or I see why they're working on that, right, with this particular pitcher. So I, I'm I'm uh, very encouraged mm-hmm. by that stuff. And and again, like we're still in spring training, we have to see how a lot of this translates to the regular season. Uh, but a lot has been made about Tommy Hanavi. We've talked about the pitch lab a lot. I'm sure you guys perusing Twitter, the newspapers, the online stuff. I'm sure you've heard about this stuff a lot. And it's it's just cool to actually be able to hear these things and and start to see some of these results tangibly on the field. And it's validating too when you and I talk about spin rates or all the Statcast data. Back then, and when I say back then, even last year, we didn't know if players and coaches were utilizing these same type of perspectives, right? So when I'm blogging on Cubs Insider, and I'm talking about like spin rate and spin efficiency, or when the Cubs signed Dan Winkler, and we saw his spin rate was in the top like tier of baseball, but at the same time, we knew based on that data that his spin efficiency was in the bottom tier. That kind of makes sense. Like, oh, okay, of course, the Cubs want to sign someone like that to get their spin efficiency back up. But that was the assumption. So now we're hearing the validation that these guys are using those types of tools and that type of data because they're recognizing their their potential and their potential is going to be unlocked if they can tweak a few different things. And the Cubs right now seem primed to have the tools and the communication resources in place to get these guys to the next level. But a few other guys stood out to me as well over the past three games. So Tyler Chatwood, Corey, he was talking about adding in a backdoor cutter. That's interesting. So I went to go back and look at some of the uh, three innings of work he had in Wednesday's game, and he threw it a few times. The command wasn't right there, but the backdoor cutter is something that caught my attention because last year he stopped throwing his cutter. And we talked about this, um, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, and I was excited about Chatwood because he stopped throwing that cutter. And what Chatwood did last year was he scrapped the cutter for a sinker, and he was throwing mostly four-seamers, sinkers, and then a curveball. And I changed up every now and then as well. But the reason why I liked the sinker was because his tunneling with the sinker and the curveball was the best of any two of his pitches. So my thinking was, okay, last year they identified that Chatwood needs to throw more sinkers because maybe that's going to help his curveball play out. And maybe having a sinker helps his command play out as well and to get some of that weak contact. But we're not seeing that this spring. We're seeing something completely different. We're seeing him throwing maybe more cutters again, or maybe I'm misinterpreting this. Maybe this is going to be more of a thing where he only throws cutters backdoor and continues to throw those high sinkers and curveballs. But that stood out to me. I think it's something to monitor as the next few starts go ahead, especially because Chad was in place to get that fifth starting uh, spot. But as you're watching these games, look for Chatwood's, uh, uh, Chatwood's cutter because that could be one pitch where maybe he throws a backdoor cutter to those 
lefties exhaustively, and he kind of pins that corner similarly to how Lester does with his cutters to righties. That could be something that could take Chatwood to the next level. So that was one point I wanted to bring up. And then one more point again with Jarrell Cotton. So when the Cubs signed him, he was a fastball changeup guy. Fangraphs rated Cotton's changeup as a 70 on the 80 scale when he was coming up through the A system. But for some reason, uh, Cotton's changeup didn't translate to whiffs. He had a league average whiff rate on that changeup. And so they're not, or at least we don't know, they're not explicitly talking about Cotton's changeup this spring. They're talking about his curveball. And so I want to read this quote by Cotton when he was talking to Sahadev. And he said, quote, so far, my weakest link is my curveball, and I want to improve that. I was working on changing the grips, and none of them were working for me. I've been trying to move my hand around on it and trying to manipulate it differently to see if I can get the spin efficiency up. Again, keyword or words, spin efficiency. To go on and continue here, quote, I think it's getting better. I'm looking forward to getting in the lab again and seeing if I'm right, end quote. So Cotton's not actually talking about his changeup. He's talking about his curveball. Maybe he feels confident that the changeup is good to go, but he needs to add in another pitch to actually get the most out of his other pitches, including his changeup. So a lot to talk about, a lot of different points over these last three games. But among everyone, I think the four guys that stood out the most to me were Cotton, Wick, Chatwood, and Darvish, and some other guys made there. Uh, some brief appearances as well, like Trevor McGill and Kyle Ryan and Tyson Miller, and they had some you know mild success as well, but not talking about specific changes to their grips. Like Tyson Miller is not changing anything grip-wise. He's working on his command. We have Kyle Ryan, who said he's not working on anything uh, specifically with pitches, just trying to get acclimated to the start of spring training. And so this is where we're at. We're seeing some significant changes to you, Darvish, to Tyler Chatwood, to Rowan Wick. And all, all together, this is really exciting, Corey. Like, really, really exciting. I cannot remember one spring training in recent memory where so many guys are aware of what they need to do to get better. I think that's the the key feature here is these guys are aware because the coaching staff is completely new and they have all these new resources available to them and they're using them right away. And that was something I hoped would happen and it's exceeding my expectations. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. Geico gets you access to licensed agents 24-7, which means that Geico is always there for you. If only everyone was always there for you. Like your mom, when you fill out really, really important paperwork on the first day of a new job. Name, check, birthday... Social security, is that a thing? Hey, mom, what is my social security number? Mom, mom, mom. Okay, let's guess. Uh, zero, zero, one, seven. Oh, Gemini, hashtag, done. Geico, always there for you with savings and 24-7 access to licensed agents. Yeah, and I think it also goes to, you know, we heard so much talk from different levels of the organization about wanting internal improvements and needing internal improvements and believing in internal improvements. And we saw the kind of, you know, mass quantity approach to getting some of these arms. And when you're going to do that, you know, you want to feel like, okay, like I would 
like internal improvements too, but are we just saying that, right? And it doesn't feel that way. It, it feels, you know, kind of closing the, the circle on this whole conversation. It feels even as, as fans, just like looking at this stuff on, on TV or on, on Twitter or wherever, it feels like there is a lot of work being done to achieve those internal improvements and work right. that you right. can actually understand and see pay off. And so uh, I think that that's got to at least make you optimistic for how they're going to be able to piece together this uh, pitching staff, however they end up doing it. But uh, a couple more items on the agenda here. Just wanted to keep track uh, a little bit of the, I'm not sure I would call it a, a center field battle, uh, it, it might be a battle for playing time, I guess. I'm not really sure exactly how they envision that. Um, but Albert and Ian Happ both continue uh, to stay hot. They have both hit two home runs. Ian Happ led off uh, the game on Tuesday with a home run. He also hit a home run during Monday's game while Kyle Hendricks was being interviewed, and he gets bonus points for making Kyle Hendricks smile. So I'm going to put Ian at three home runs uh, and Almora at two. Uh, Ian getting credit for it's a two-pointer when you make Kyle Hendricks smile on live TV. Uh, it's spring training, guys. There's no rules. I can say whatever I want. But they're they're both playing well. Uh, I think obviously, at least in our eyes, it certainly isn't the case to some, and uh, you know we don't have to get into that. Uh, but I think Almora certainly has more to prove than Hap does. Uh, but they're both playing well, which I think is what you would want at this point. And whatever David Ross in the front office, you know, or however they're making those decisions, whatever they would want to be seeing, I think, from both of these guys, I would think that they are seeing it. Uh, both of these guys look good, they look healthy, and they're, they're, they're hitting and seeing the ball well so far uh, in the early portion of spring training. So just keeping an eye on that. They're, they're not really tipping their hand much in any way about how they're going to go about things. Uh, Almora was, you know, did the post-game interview on Marquee on Wednesday and was talking about how close he and Hap have become, and, you know, they're both obviously uh, hoping to contribute as much as they can, uh, but they, you know, understand how things are with the roster, and they're both just ready to do what they can. So uh, I I wouldn't think that spring results, just like with anybody else, like I, I, I would certainly think that they kind of had a vision for how they wanted things to go once the regular season started before spring training even began. Uh, but always good to see them both performing well and, you know, not creating any mass confusion because, you know, one of them is, you know, absolutely tanking while the other's on fire or something like that, right? Uh, so yeah. good to see them performing well, and we will see how that uh, battle shakes out. You know, again, we talked about this last time. I think both Brendan and I's preference is that Hap gets the lion's share uh, and that Almora is able to succeed in a more deliberate uh, and, and defined role. Uh, but either way, both of them hitting the ball well so far is uh, a, a better place to be than the alternative. The The last thing I wanted to discuss here today, and, and this is something to definitely keep an eye on as we go forward, is thinking in these early stages, uh, as we get closer to opening day here, uh, which is later this month, if you haven't uh, been reminded month, of that yeah, enough, yeah. but what the Cubs might do with that 26th spot, 
right? Uh, a, a different roster size this year, some of the changes that Major League Baseball is making. And I, I think there's different ways that they can go with this. And one of the things that we've heard David Ross say uh, is that he's definitely considering the option of carrying a third catcher. Uh, P.J. Higgins and um, Josh Fegley would be uh, the, the contenders for that. Uh, Ian Miller has had himself a nice spring and is someone who would bring a, I, I think, much needed uh, speed element. He, he's a, a very good base stealer, has a lot, bring, would bring a lot of speed to the Cubs bench uh, and be able to play kind of all over the outfield. Um, and, you know, then you look at that second base spot, right, where you, you know, you still have Bodie, Kipnis, Descalso, trying to figure out how that's all going to work. Um, and there may be other players in contention for that, but those are certainly the names that stand out. And I don't think that there's going to be a definitive answer on this, likely until the, the very last days uh, of spring training, just to see where everybody's at. Um, but I, I would say, just for now, I'm intrigued by both of those options. I, I think that Miller uh, has shown a real prowess on the bases, and you know it's not something that has been a big part of the Cubs game uh, in terms of having that, that kind of upper-level speed specifically and, and base stealing and stuff like that, although some of the guys are very good base runners. That's kind of a different element uh, that would be added to the team, give you another outfielder just to kind of shake things up every now and again. Uh, and I'm also intrigued by the notion of carrying that third catcher. And you and I talked about this. I'm not intrigued by it uh, necessarily uh, for having the third catcher in in a vacuum. I'm intrigued by it because Victor Caratini showed us a lot last year. Uh, he he showed us a lot, not only at catcher, but filling in at first base and and doing a very good job at the plate hitting and thinking about how having a third catcher might allow David Ross to utilize that bat off the bench. And we've talked about, you know, wondering about where that depth is going to come from, needing some of these guys to step up so that that depth doesn't, you know, tank after, you know, the, the some of those top-level players, which is something that was definitely a problem in the 2019 season. If Victor is able to look the way that he did, and you know, again, it's only spring training, but he 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 does have a fourteen twenty OPS so far in this particular Cactus League slate, uh, and I think it was an article from Jordan Bastian on MLB.com where Chris Bryant was gushing over uh, Victor Caratini. Each of the players were asked like uh, to name another player that was really standing out to them in spring training, and Chris Bryant said Victor Caratini, not necessarily just from the games. But batting practice and 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 the the stuff that they're doing, just putting good swings on the ball, ripping the ball, looking good and poised at the plate, um, and I think that's an intriguing angle to think about. And if he is able to hit the way that he's shown a little bit, um, that would definitely be an an interesting thing for David Ross to be able to deploy at times. If you were able to use him as a pinch hitter, or use him to sub in. Uh, in different ways and not have to worry about then no one being there to back up Wilson behind the plate. Uh, I mean, unless you're still planning on throwing Kyle back there, or I think Javi might have been the emergency catcher in certain uh, spaces. You can play anywhere, yeah. That's true. He can play anywhere. Uh, You know, that's an intriguing thing. So 
there's there's some options here. Uh, I don't know if you're leaning a particular way. I, I have told I I will get this out of the way. I'll probably say it on every episode. Uh, but they really should not roster Daniel Descalso. Uh, it he he doesn't look particularly good in this spring. Uh, and I, I think you've got just some more interesting options that would add some actual versatility and, and different uh, things for your manager to be able to do. Uh, and I don't think that Discalso offers that whatsoever, especially since Kipnis sort of feels like he's filling that role anyway. Uh, but that that's just my thought on that. But I do think that that 26 roster spot and, and how exactly they fill out that back end of the roster is still something to keep a pretty close eye on. I'm pretty convinced here. It to, to me, it's almost a slam dunk. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen, but this is how I want it to play out. Descasso's got to go, Corey. He's 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 got to go. When you have someone who hasn't shown anything for a year and a half, I know there's injuries, but he's got to go, and that's because the options to replace him they seem obvious at this point. I want PJ Higgins to make this team right out of the gate, 26 man, out of the gate. And the reason I want P.J. Higgins is for so many. One, he has a different type of plate approach than what the Cubs typically use. P.J. Higgins walked last year in AAA at a 12.1% clip, only struck out at a 20% clip, had a pretty good year in AAA, has a high batting average, batted 290 in AAA in, in the Pacific Coast League. It's kind of like an airport out there. It's, it's balls are flying everywhere but he had a weighted on base average of 373. But with P.J. Higgins, he's a catcher, but he plays third base, plays first base, even played second base at times coming up through the system. You can easily see a situation where when you keep a third catcher on the team, you can mix and match in the game having P.J. Higgins come in to sub out for Wilson or Vic. Or if you come in, depending on the situation, you can mix and match and put P.J. Higgins at third base and Kesher within the same game. It gives David Ross further flexibility to manage this team. And with Descalso, he played left field in Wednesday's game, but he's been usually a second baseman first, a third baseman every now and then, shortstop, and in an emergency. But if P.J. Higgins is going to be that third baseman, what is Descalso's utility? Just second base on the roster right now, you have David Bodie. You have Ian Happ. You have Jason Kipnis. Second base is there, man. Like I don't know if they're all going to work out the way we want it to work out, but I can tell you right now, I'm betting on each three of those individuals over Daniel Descalso. And my main worry is that by year's end, Wilson Contreras, Corey, we've got to protect Wilson Contreras' health yeah. and his stamina. That screwed the Cubs two out of the last three years, man. So that's my main concern is how do we actually give Wilson the proper rest, the proper playing time? So by August, he does not hurt his hamstring. He can last throughout the entire year. And to me, what makes the most sense is carrying that third pitcher or I'm sorry, third catcher. Because Victor Caratini, his bat actually might be useful in situations where you don't want him catching, but you want him in the field because of his offense, right? So it's almost a no-brainer to me. Descalso's got to go, and he's got to go for so many reasons. One, to protect Wilson Contreras by having a third catcher. 
And two, that third catcher actually plays third base. So what is a role that Descalso is going to play? The the savvy veteran that's, that is important, but also important in maybe a coaching role. So I... I I'm not trying to bash Descalso as you know a person. I understand the leadership is an intangible that is, of course, beneficial. But when we look at the personnel right now, there's so many things that need to be straightened out that Descalso doesn't fit and accomplish any of the needs the Cubs are facing. Yeah, and I, I think this, again, like he, he seems uh, like a great guy. He gets rave reviews from the players in terms of what he brings to the clubhouse. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want this to necessarily turn into, because, you know, we railed on this, all, justifiably so, in my opinion, uh, in the 2019 season. I, you know, I, I don't want to get on this all the time, but this is spring training. This is when these decisions need to be made, and so much has been made, not by us about how this team needs to improve in certain areas, how this team needs to be better on the margins in certain areas. And this is, there's only so many spots to do that, right? Like the roster is 26 and so many of those spots are filled by obvious names, right? You only have a certain number of positions, a certain number of players where you can make those improvements, where you can improve on those margins, and where you can try to find that little bit of an edge and a little bit of extra utility that you can bring to your roster. And that screams not carrying Daniel Descalso. It just does. And and I, I if, if, if you're of a different mindset, you know, Tell me why. You know, you know we're at CF Cubs related on Twitter, Brendan's Cubs related on Twitter. We love talking about this stuff. That's why we we do this podcast. So I'm all ears. But from my perspective, if you're talking about someone like Ian Miller, you're talking about someone that can play the outfield and brings a different element that basically nobody else, other guys are fast, but he, he's bringing something that you just don't really have in terms of uh, pinch running possibility, someone to spell those guys, and, and just bring a different element throughout the lineup. You're talking about carrying someone like Higgins, who can play different positions, who allows you to completely change the way that you use Wilson Contreras and Victor Caratini on basically a daily basis, right, in, in late game situations and things like that. What is Descalso bringing to you that someone else on this team doesn't have and that you're not getting unless Descalso is a different player than he was last year. And as we pointed out relentlessly, you guys could probably recite this in your sleep, he only had the one good year. The one good year looks like an anomaly. If you look at Daniel Descalso's career trajectory, if you look at his batted ball data, his exit velo data, all this stuff, there is one outlier, and that's the one that was good. And that for whatever reason the Cubs decided to pay him for. Uh, So that's where it comes down to to me. I I don't see any reason that some combination of David Bodie and Jason Kipnis with the way that they have looked can't fill that role at second base, including the veteran leadership and clubhouse presence that I think Kipnis can provide, and we've heard from a number of people that he can provide. I just don't see what Descalso is going to bring. 
And, you know, again, like it's, it's all spring training. I'm not trying to get caught up in these numbers uh, because, you know, some of the top guys aren't putting up the biggest numbers in spring training. But Descalso has got a 388 OPS in these games. He looks slow. He looks bad in the field. I just don't see it, guys, and and it's again one of those things where Brendan and I don't I don't I don't have anything against the guy, right? I don't have a vendetta against Daniel Descalso, right? I'm sure, he's a perfectly great guy, but when we're talking about coming off a third place season, you know, you didn't go and make these massive roster changes. There's only so many areas. There's only so many spots on this team that you can effectively really change things. And that just seems like one of them. And you've got a couple guys right now performing at a level in spring training uh, and who represent different values to your roster that it just seems like something that they should do. But I got to tell you, Brendan, I'm not confident that's going to happen. Neither am I. Neither yeah. am I. And that, that's, my, that's my biggest fear is that by opening day, we're going to assume that because Ian Miller and PJ Higgins can come up at any point during the season, that they're going to start with Oscaso to give him the chance because it's so early. But that's my fear is I don't want to wait. I want from day one for this team to go full throttle. And I want from day one for these guys to put forth their complete best product on the field. And I feel for me, my number one goal in that 26 man is to protect the health of the other guys. And that to me is protecting Wilson Contreras. If you carry a third catcher that can also play other infield positions, that is such a treat. That is such a luxury for a manager that has long-lasting implications for the entire season and long-lasting implications, not just for one or two players, but for the for the majority of the team. You have such flexibility to mix and match and protect health, to play the matchups. And I think with PJ Higgins, that to me seems like the no-brainer. It, it really does. And I feel like with uh, Descalso, unfortunately... I think he's going to get that chance, and I'm not going to like it. Right. And, you know, again, it's just it's just one of those things where you are feeling like the division is a little tight, right? Uh, the Cardinals won it last year. The Reds made a lot of improvements to try to get themselves in the mix. Uh, the Brewers lost a lot of guys, but, you know, they obviously still have uh, guys like Yelich and other other players that you can expect to perform at a high level. So it, it could be a tight, it could be a tight race. And I think the concern uh, on your and my end is you just don't have a lot of time to devote to hoping that someone like Descalso looks good and looks better than he did last year just because he's not hurt anymore. Uh, you, you really need to hit the ground running uh, every day with your 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 best guys. And, and I think that David Ross has shown that that's his general philosophy uh, with putting Bryant in the leadoff spot and, and you know, being about, we're going to get our best guys the most at bats and, and that type of thing. Um, but the, the, you know, every every little bit matters. And in a close division race, uh, in, in, a, in a division where you didn't win it last year and, and you're feeling like maybe you're on the same level with some of these other teams, every game matters, every lineup matters, every spot on that 26-man roster is going to matter and may pay dividend at the end of the year. So uh, now is the time to put those thoughts out in the universe and, you know, hope they they 
present themselves a, a, a particular way and you know however it shakes out then we'll evaluate it on a day-to-day basis once the season actually starts but you know that's what spring training is for is you know kind of thinking about these things and, and projecting out and uh, talking about how you'd like things to go but that is where we are with that I I, I did just want to one more time because I, I know that this was uh, a, a debated topic and, and something that people weren't sure of uh, but I did just want to point out how Wednesday's game began for this Chicago Cubs offense because to me it was a thing of beauty Brendan uh, Chris Bryant doubles Anthony Rizzo grounds out to the right side to get him over to third Javi rips a single up the middle, one to nothing Cubs yep. to start the game. And that, again, like there's there's so many ways that that can work. We, we talked about, I think on the last episode, where Bryant singled, Rizzo doubled him home because Chris is so fast and runs the bases so well. There's different permutations for this, right? And, and maybe in an ideal world, Rizzo just hits a home run, right? And it's two to nothing, right? There's all sorts of ways. But this was just an example of the mindset playing out in real time. We are going to put our best hitters up there. We are going to give these guys a chance to manufacture runs the minute this game starts. And we've we've seen that executed uh, several times here in the spring to to start these games and, and when the top of the lineup has come up to start an inning. So uh, I just love seeing that. It, it was very simple and right so quickly the Cubs have a one to nothing lead and it's it's pretty easy uh, like other things we talked about on this show to envision this happening on a regular basis just these those three guys even in particular not even getting to the four or five six spots of the order but just those three guys some combination of them doing things I think is going to put the Cubs ahead in a lot of these games right off the bat uh so that is what we have for you. Uh, I hope you all celebrate Kyle Schwarber's birthday in style. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to think about me, whatever, that's fine. I don't care. Um, it's not a big deal, guys. But regardless, we are back on our two episodes a week kick. So you can expect to hear us again on Monday morning to start off your work week as we inch ever closer to opening day Chicago Cubs baseball being back on the air and inch closer still to the Cubs being back at Wrigley Field a little bit later in this particular month of March but as always we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs related podcast I will say uh, we have asked uh, I think a little more deliberately uh, for some of you guys to leave the five-star reviews and comments on the iTunes store, and we have seen that. So if you have taken the time to do that, uh, I want you to know uh, from Brendan and I sincerely how much we appreciate that. Uh, you know, you guys don't owe us anything uh, by listening to this show. That is uh, more than we could ask for, and for so many of you uh, to hear us say that and immediately go and do that for us, uh, it really means a lot. Yeah, I, I mean that. awesome. Um, and we did notice it and we very much appreciate it. So if you did that and, and even if you didn't just listening to the show and just your guys participation and listenership means a lot to us. Uh, and, and the way that so many of you show your 
listenership and show uh, your care for us and for this podcast uh, is not something that goes unnoticed or unappreciated. We do appreciate it very much. So thank you sincerely for doing that. Uh, but we will talk to you again on Monday uh, with what should be hopefully, uh, you know, talking and looking back at another uh, eventful few days of spring training as it seems to be. I, I, I don't know that I ever would have expected you know, short periods of just a few days of spring training action to consistently provide so much content, but it certainly has in this particular uh, iteration of the Cactus League. So we will talk to you again on Monday. Thank you, as always, for listening. And as always, we end by saying, Go Cubs! Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Did you know Geico's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your baby to let you sleep in? <laughs> what? We could sleep in another half hour? Thanks, sweetheart. And you'll change yourself, too? There's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit GEICO.com for details. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on the motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.